Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to an episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. Do you follow the pack or challenge the status quo? Join Ted as he explores how to succeed by going against conventional wisdom. You'll hear leaders in technology and security tell stories about how they achieve their success by doing things differently. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tech Done Different. I'm your host today, Ben Schmerler, along with my co-host, Ted Harrington. Hi, Ted. What's going on, Ben? And with us today, we also have our guest, Cecilia Marinier. I want to say it correctly. I did the phonetics, Marinier. Cecilia Marinier, who is the head of Innovation and Scholars at RSA Conference. Thanks so much for being with us, Cecilia. Thank you, Ben. And thank you for pronouncing my last name correctly. Good job. Good job. I am very sensitive to this. As somebody with a super weird last name, I want to get everybody's name right. So I I go to great efforts to sort of get it right. Ted, Ted's got the easy one. He's got the yeah. win there. Harrington is just, <laughs> yeah. it's pronounced exactly like it looks. Yeah, people spell his name wrong. Sometimes they call him Todd Harrington or something yeah. like that. But aside from that. <laughs> when Ben, when I first met Ben and I saw his name in writing, I was like, so Ben, sh- what is it? Schmerler. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Well, uh, Cecilia, why don't you tell our audience a little about what you do? You know, uh, you have a different kind of role than a lot of the people we talk to on the podcast. Sure. I do many things. I wear multiple hats for the RSA conference, but the two general areas I work in is an innovation and with the scholars. And they're both kind of tied together, thinking about the future of where cybersecurity is going. So on the innovation front, I work with all the contests that we run and the early stage expo areas that we run. And then for the scholars, I work with who are the future scholars that were who are going to be the thought leaders of tomorrow. And that's what the security scholars are. And then we bring in the college students. And in addition to all of that, I also run something, which is how I met Ted, which is called the Sandbox. And it's where we bring in basically the villages from DEF CON to come and give a little sampling of what's happening. And part of that whole piece is talking about research. It's There's two goals. One is to show some cutting edge research in each of the different areas. And the second is to allow our attendees just to get a hands-on experience in a casual setting where they can relax and take a break from the the rest of conference, a completely different way to learn. It's kind of fun for that. So how do those two fit together in your eyes, the innovation aspect and the scholars aspect? So because scholars are going to be where we're going, what we're they're like researching tomorrow, they're going to be in our audience going forward. I kind of think of them as on the cutting edge of what's going to be happening, or at least looking into the research of that. And on the other side, you have this innovation that has to be happening because our industry is full of very capable, nefarious actors that are super innovative. And we need to be able to defend against that front. And so by doing these two pieces and thinking about how to get in front of the trends of what's going to be happening tomorrow, that's how they tie together really nicely. And not just scholars. I I actually do want to talk about this because, Ben, we mentioned this before in a conversation because this the word scholar sometimes comes across as somebody that's actually in school. 
And some of the things that's really interesting about our particular industry is that we have a very innovative way of getting into the industry. We're really setting a whole new course from the 21st century because it doesn't have to have the same cookie cutter kind of education that you have seen in the past. People can come in from multiple different areas, including some that just get some military training and then they roll out and they go in to work in this industry. Some that are hacking at DEF CON and they'll come in and they can learn through the industry. And then others that take a more formal path and maybe they're going to get a certification or maybe they will go to a four-year school. But all paths are allowing people to get some way into cybersecurity. And that's because this is an industry that didn't exist 100 years ago. It's an industry that's being developed as we speak, and it is still evolving. That is uh, very cool and definitely interesting. I mean, I think almost everybody I've worked with in the in the field of cybersecurity, from the analysts to people maybe on the more more of the business side, I feel like a lot of them come from very unique backgrounds and oftentimes stumble into to security. So I guess my question sort of is, you know, how do you figure out who's a good scholar? Like, what makes a scholar? in your eyes like what what are the key identifiable traits and you say this person should be one of our our scholars <laughs> so that actually is a really interesting question and i will rely on the fact that for the past 6 years i have run this college day panel with the leaders of the industry CISOs from across the industry whether it's from defense or finance or from retail from like walmart for example and all of the CISOs come in and I always ask them, so who is the most creative person or who is your best person on your team? And 75% of the time, I'm getting some some left field, like somebody that was saying, oh, it was the person that you work on a cruise ship and they used to do the agenda for the, the, everybody's activities during the week. And you're like, righty. Another was like a barista. And you're going, oh my gosh, how did these two actually make it into cybersecurity and why? And the reality is that they say the most important piece is curiosity. The second is being able to multitask. The third is being able to prioritize. So these are key factors of these aren't soft skills. They're actually hard skills too. They're both, but it's the way that people have to approach problem solving in this industry. It's coming from all different fronts. I mean, Ted, you wrote a whole book on this. You can probably give us a good lesson on it. But if when you're looking to hire somebody, you want somebody that is is curious, I would say is number one. I'm super interested in this particular topic right now about curiosity, like the, the mindset of what makes someone successful in a security career, especially in a hacking career. That's kind of the angle that I'm thinking about these things. But I think it's broader than just hacking. One of the things that has been coming up as I've been asking people in the industry about this concept of curiosity, and I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, but I'm curious to your viewpoint on this, is curiosity something that can be learned or is it you just, you have it from birth or you don't. Wow, that is a charged question, Ted. You're putting me on the on the line here. Yeah. Nature versus nurture. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's both because I will say that my husband is an engineer and he is a very methodical thinker, but he is a very curious person, but he has to do it in a linear fashion. It has to come up like A to B to C to D. And when something throws him from the left field, he's kind of like, oh, I'll go over there. I'll be curious about it and I'll bring it in and I'll see where it fits into the into his structure of thinking. Where I am much more like the, if you've ever done the Myers-Briggs, I'm a P, which is like I'm kind of all over the place. And what I'll say about why that is important to think about is that 
curiosity can come in multiple ways. It's just the fact that you don't take an answer for granted or you don't have to replicate the same thing. It allows you whichever way you want. So it's not fair to say that it's all nature because yes, there's definitely a component of somebody that's not going to just take this at face value, but there's also the nurturing where you sit down and if you've been taught how to do something very calculated in a very structured way, you can still ask the questions. I don't know, Ben, how do you feel about it? I'm always, in terms of curiosity specifically, I'm always looking for people who sort of challenge expectations, people who often zig when others zag, so to speak, people who aren't too buttoned up. You know, there's also like a personality trait, right? Like people who are very much rule followers, not to say that there's bad things about following rules, but like people who are maybe a little stern when it comes to the rules. Oftentimes when it comes to security, I mean, they could be good for compliance, but that doesn't necessarily make them in our field necessarily the best ethical hackers because they don't aren't they don't necessarily draw outside the lines. Those kind of creative thinkers are also the ones that are showing the most curiosity. I feel like that kind of goes hand in hand. That's just my perspective on it. I don't know how you guys feel. Well, that's actually super interesting. And I'm going to push it back to Ted on this after I say this, because the one part that I love about our industry is there are so many different places for people to play. And mm -hmm. there has to be rule followers. There have to be people in compliance. You know, GRC is a huge part of our business. You also have people who are doing privacy concerns, and they're going to be the ones that are helping you understand the the actual, like, you know, how to, how to make sure people have their own rights to their own name and their identity and everything else that goes along with that. So I'll go back to you, Ted. I mean, you've done all this research. You tell me, what should my answer have been? Is there a, is there a right answer? <laughs> well, I don't know if there is right or wrong, but <laughs> here's bias. There's some bias in this. I want curiosity to be something that can be learned because I don't like the idea that someone just is born a certain way and they're like, I now can't have that really important attribute that would make me successful in so many careers or pursuits or whatever. And so that to me feels, I just like, I just don't even want that to be true. So I reject that that is the case. And how often do people use the phrase literally? And then I became curious about, and I, I think curiosity is one of these things that is innate in everyone. And it's not until there's something that either stimulates that curiosity or we see the behavior modeled by someone else. I mean, I think that's one of the coolest things about security research is you see these other researchers talk about, I mean, the best box, they follow the same format, right? They're like, I did this and I didn't know I was interested in that. So then I did this next step and here's what happened. Here's how I failed. But it opened up this other thing. So then I did this and they, they tell these stories in a very linear chronological fashion. And it's literally curiosity displayed step by step. And that to me is, is super motivating. And I'm hopeful that as people are sitting in that room, listening to that talk, it's making them start to think about something. And if if that's true, that theory that I just laid out, then curiosity definitely can be learned. I think so too. But something else you said that just struck me is the idea that you can, and, and I'm not in love with this word, but fail, but that you fail, but that doesn't stop you. And I think that's the part that also can be taught. It's having perseverance and just sitting down and having, or grit or whatever you want to say, but it's this idea that, that it, it's, you don't have to stop here. You can keep on going and you can keep on making mistakes and it's okay, but you have to be learning from them. But I, I love that idea a lot too. And I think that you asked me, Ben, what makes a good scholar? I think it's people that are, that know that it's okay to fail and kind of are not afraid to fail because they're going to try something new 
each time. And I, I think that's very important too. You could probably toss in other characteristics like empathy and humility. You know, the idea that because you've done something a certain way, perhaps successfully a long time, that it's good enough for now, but maybe not good enough in the future, or that it could be improved, it could be made better, or that there's something that the world needs or that someone, you know, someone from the outside is feeding me. And I need to figure out how I can take that and turn that into a solution using my skills, my talents, my ability to learn and create and things like that. You know, these are just valuable qualities to have, period, no matter what field you're in. I mean, yep. so yeah, I think it's a really good thing. I, I agree. I, I read, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Alyssa Miller's book that she did on like how to cybersecurity 101. And she basically gave some really great examples of like how to get into this field. It is not easy to get into this field. And we all talk about it and we all have that one case scenario of somebody that didn't go to school that was able to, you know, prove themselves at DEF CON or, you know, win the CTF, but the, it's not as, as simple as it seems. Like it's not as straightforward as it seems. But it is, there is paths, and this is the part that I think is so fabulous about our industry too, is that because we have all of these open conferences, mini conferences, mini events that allow people to go in and you have all these people like Ted or others that stand up and want to teach people how to hack and how to do something that it's accessible to anybody. It, not, it doesn't have to be behind a book or if you want to go in and you can learn and you can build this network of people who are trying to help each other. And that part is really unique to our industry. And I I want to foster that. And this is what I love so much about the Sandbox at RSA conference. And I don't want to talk too much about the conference itself, but just want to make this plug of how impressive it is to me to see these people who volunteer their time, energy, and effort to come and showcase some kind of problem solving technique to whether you're interested in, in, in IoT like you guys run or you're interested in the SCADA systems, or you're interested in car hacking, whatever it is, that these people are willing to come in and share with the community to make the community better. And that part is so unique. And that's how possibly if you're trying to break into the industry, this is what you should do. You should go to the local B-sides. You should go to the local conferences that are in your neighborhood and learn about them and start meeting people and connecting. I, you know, you didn't want to plug RSA Sandbox too much, but I do want to say something about it <laughs> okay? because I think it ties into something you've done really successfully, which is that I feel like there's a culture shift at the Sandbox specifically. And maybe some of our listeners, they may be familiar with RSA Conference, but maybe not the Sandbox. I don't really know. You know, when you walk into the Sandbox, it's different from the rest of the event. It, you you point out it really is about education. There are, you know, you know, we set up our, our light bulb lab and we had the toilet seat hack and stuff like that. And then there was the flight simulator thing and all this other stuff. The vibe is just different. The lights are a little low. You have the coffee set up. You have all these things. And I guess my question for you is like, how do you create a culture that is maybe a little bit different than the rest of RSA so that people are feeling good to come in and learn and like step in and touch this stuff after maybe being in the in the in the vendor hall where there's a lot of stuff going on and it's and it could be a lot for the senses so i'm kind of curious about how you sort of foster that culture well it's funny you ask because i think when we started this we wanted it to be something that was very different. And we wanted it because one of the things that RSA Conference really tries to do is to take all the stakeholders in the industry and have them come to the table and have a conversation. I mean, this is how we started. It's part of our DNA. And what that means is you have to bring in people that are from business, that are from 
academia, they're from the nonprofits, they're from the government, they're coming in in verticals, like they're coming in from aerospace or they're coming in from IoT, as you were mentioning. And you wanted also like the technical people to come because if they're not there and they're not part of the conversation about how to make the industry better, then we're missing a whole swath of them. And so when we were building the sandbox, we wanted to create a place where they would feel comfortable and they would come and they would go hang out and then they could go, they could go give a talk or they could go to a, a business meeting that's offsite or whatever they're going to do while whilst at the conference, because it is the forum where we bring everybody from the industry together. We just want to make sure there's a space for them. And that's what the whole purpose was. So yes, the design, the feel and the experience should be very different than what you get in a classroom, all different ways to learn. It depends on who you are and how you learn and what you want to learn and that that we are just trying to one more facet that we tried to add to it. I love the the spirit of learning because I, I think all conferences at some level are intending to educate, right? There's that's why there's talks. But some maybe skew more towards the like maybe networking aspect or the vendor sponsor type view. But what you guys have been doing with the sandbox is so fascinating because it's not just talk. There are definitely talks, but then there's the hands-on element, like getting someone to actually go interact with an industrial control system. Like, when can you do that if you don't work in industrial control systems? I actually don't know the answer to this, even though we've known each other for a long time. When you were wanting to start the sandbox, was that difficult to convince your team that, hey, we want to do this in a very different way. We want to have some hands-on experiential learning that's accessible to everyone. How'd that go? So yes, I do challenge my team. <laughs> and when I brought this to them, because it's not an area that would be nat a natural fit, it definitely had its own space. It was kind of an educational process for everyone along the way. But because I knew how important it was to, um, I, I have a very vivid memory of my first sandbox back in 2015. And I remember who was in the room then. I mean, I remember I had Joe Grant because I knew Joe from a million years ago and I had him doing a hardware hack. And I was like, oh, once I saw how people reacted to the different things that he was doing, once we brought in the ICS and they had their big wall, I was like, this really, this resonates in a different way than anything else I've seen at conference. So as we were like, as it evolved, we got smarter and better about how to approach the, both our audience and the people who are going to come in and help us out. So I think it was something that we did purposefully and it took a, a while to get people to, to embrace it. But my whole team is, it really loves this area so that I have no problems now. Like everybody's like, yes, we have to keep the sandbox and yes, we're going to throw this, uh, you know, the cyber ops or whatever else we put into it. They all really think that this is an important aspect of what we do. And it's an important piece of also showing innovation. Like it's a place where we can show cutting edge research. It's just, it's a good space for the conference and it breaks it away from the idea that it's just a classroom only. Like we have, like we have a different way to think about it. And I know, you know, I work really closely with Britta Glade, who is the who runs our content and Britta has amazing things that we do in content, you know, including the birds of a feather or the learning labs. So it's not like this is the only space where you can have this unique experience, but it's definitely something that they're committed to. And I think that part's really cool. I'm happy to have done that. Yeah, but it was, it wasn't easy, Ted. It's slowly but surely. I wore them down. <laughs> I mean, anything new, right, is going to be fraught. Like change is just hard for a lot of people. And especially I think part of where the question is coming from is RSA conference was already this big, successful thing. 
and you're like, I want to do it different. <laughs> and it's like, well, but what's wrong with what we're already doing? And that's that's a really interesting view that you just described. Yeah, well, we needed to get and we wanted to also like very, very thoughtfully look after people who were in the technical area. I mean, I've had guys that have come through like John Hammond or Jason Haddix and they're like, oh, I totally even Joe Grant came in recently. Like he was here in 2022 and he was like, wow, I love this space. And it's that kind of okay, they, they relate to this and they can come in here and feel like they're part of this, that, that they're not, it's not just the corporate piece around us. So it's cool for that. All right. Well, we just lost Ted to internet glitches. So we'll pick up with me and Cecilia here. So Cecilia, right before Ted disconnected, I was bringing up the idea that, you know, cybersecurity is really sort of like a 21st century industry. And you mentioned that maybe some of the old ways of learning it were a little old school and not really befitting where where people need to go now and how they need to get into the industry. So do you want to maybe talk about that a little bit? Sure. One of the things that I think is awesome about our industry is another thing, because I've talked about so many things, but one is that it's a very open field. And what because of that, we don't have to follow the rubric that we had used in the 20th, 20th century or the 19th century, where you had to have a governing body that said, this is how many classes you have to take to get into this industry. And cybersecurity allows with so many different ways to enter into the industry and also so many different paths to take within the industry that you can actually start in multiple ways and not follow a you know four-year curriculum. You could be going to a community college. You might get a certification from ICS Squared. You might also just work in the military. You might roll out of DEF CON uh, C CTF at DEF CON that you won and everybody's like hunting you down and trying to get hire you as a, as a red teamer. So the thing that is unique about our industry is because the rules are being set now, we're allowing ourselves to actually find our way into what does it mean to be a cybersecurity professional. And some of the fields, obviously, like if you're going to be working in privacy or you're going to be working in law, you're going to have to follow traditional paths. But if you want to do other pieces of it, like red teaming, you can get in without a actual degree. And that part to me is where I hope the future goes because companies could be really forward thinking in trying to figure out how to grow somebody. Somebody might be curious as we started this conversation and, and show great capability in red teaming, but they might feel that that's not enough. And maybe they get super curious about the law or maybe they get super curious about managing and they can find a way and a path if companies are open to allowing them to build their own career educational path. And that includes some traditional learning and it might include some untraditional learning, but that's what I love most. It's a very open field. That kind of transitions to my last couple of questions. You know, I want to give you a chance to tell everyone how to reach you and, and mention anything that could help you out. But, you know, let's say somebody is, you know, been they maybe they've been working in another business or they're finishing school or something. And they've sort of decided, you know, this is a field of need. There's a, there's a, there's definitely a lot of roles open for people. Hundreds and of thousands of yeah, jobs. Tons, <laughs> tons of jobs available for people in this field. What's something someone can do to get started? Is it just trying to figure out what field they want to be in? Or is it, or are there specific paths you think they should take, things they should try out? So there are two things I'll say. There's one that I've heard recently, which is at a University of Maryland, which actually takes into account, and I don't know that it's free or not free, but I can actually learn more about that and I'll send you some more information afterwards. It takes you through like, what do you like about 
different aspects of a job or of what you like to or the way that you like to learn. And that can kind of help identify like maybe you're going to go into a more technical path or maybe you'll go into more management path or maybe you'll go into more of a law path or a social scientist path. That's my background. I have social science because I was curious about how the hackers, why hackers do what they do. That was my curiosity. So I, I think that that path is one way that I would definitely tell you to do to actually start. The second is to go, as we mentioned earlier, to any of the local meetups and meetings and conferences that are cheap and close and a way to network and to learn about the industry itself. And the third is to like, you know, start following people, following podcasts like this one, following different places where you can start to listen in on the different conversations about what do people do in their daily job or what is it that you start to like. You're going to follow the YouTube channel and of one guy or, you know, there's some really incredible podcasters and some very good bloggers that I personally really like that have, that are on innovation. Others that are just giving you like, here's the new threat landscape. Let me tell you about all this industry. Uh, you got another one that works strictly on privacy issues. And you're like, if you follow these people, you will be learning a lot all the time. So start there. I think in Alyssa's book, she says, you know, go read the newspaper. And when you read the newspaper and you get attracted to a couple of these different stories or wherever, start looking and saying, well, what makes me interested in that story? And then maybe that's another way to get it started in your head. That's great advice. I really agree with a lot of things you said, particularly the stuff about the events. You know, I know when we set up stuff at the IoT Village for labs and such, they're meant to be accessible to anyone. You know, when people were coming by at DEF CON, I was telling them literally just go up and, and start working there. We we bring in people and these people are uh, the people we bring in. Our analysts are designed to make it easy for you. Everything we do is is instructional and very simple, simple to get into. Not only is that good to learn some of the stuff, but you'll also probably learn maybe what you're not so interested in. <laughs> you know, it's such a broad field. You know, there's a big difference between, you know, being a security analyst and being a compliance person versus being a red teamer or someone who in phishing testing or social engineering. Cecilia, I really appreciate you joining us today. Before we wrap things up, what are some things you'd like to share with the audience? Any opportunities they can have or maybe uh, ways to reach out to you? Anything that you'd like to share? Well, I, I, I welcome everybody. You can always find me on LinkedIn. That's a personal push. But one thing I really want to say is that on September 13th, we are going to be opening our call for speakers. So if you can see on the, the RSA conference website, please, if you're interested in sharing your knowledge, if you're interested in learning more about us, I know, look at Ben's already got something going on in the back of his head. He's like, I'm going to go ahead and submit. I highly encourage everybody to submit at any time. I would love to see all of you there at conference next year. And hopefully you'll actually come talk. Awesome. Well, something tells me some guy named Ben Schmuller might be submitting a, a, a talk pitch, but We'll see. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I will be looking for it. All right, great. Cecilia, thanks again for joining us today. Really happy that you uh, joined us. Awesome. Thank you very much, Ben. And I hope you guys have a great afternoon. Bye. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, uh, go to tedharrington.com slash podcast. Take care, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.